Well, again, it's my privilege to be here. Um, It's not just that a Welshman was praying for a Scotsman, but we are in Cornwall, and we all speak the Celtic languages. So, uh, if you can speak Cornish, please speak to me at the end. We are going to look at, uh, continue to look at Hebrews. I'm very grateful to Brian and Tim for setting things up, and we are going to look at um, why Jesus is better than the angels. Now, uh, first of all, I didn't do this deliberately. It was just the only shirt I had left. I apologize for wearing a Scottish rugby shirt. Um, We never beat England at rugby anyway, so don't worry. Uh, Although we did beat you at cricket, which was wonderful. Um, But this is a, a, a huge and a massive subject, and I want to a- approach it in a slightly different way, mentioning just a couple of things. Uh, just before I came on stage, I got word from uh, Scotland, uh, and this is the way that the rest of the United Kingdom is going to go as well. Unfortunately, we are leading the way downwards. Um, I had predicted about three years ago that this would happen, and everyone just mocked and laughed, but today it's been announced that the Scottish government are going to next year insist that every child in school aged five will be told they can choose whatever gender they wish. Um, And they're going to be told that they're not (coughs) male or female, but that they get to choose that. And that, to some of you, that just sounds insane, and that's because it is. But that's where we're going. And that's the culture and the context in which I live and which I minister. And my answer to all of that is to tell people about Jesus, because these are questions of identity, and identity for the Christian is found in Christ. A number of years ago, I did a premier unbelievable program with the comedian Marcus Brigstock, and it was one of the most delightful things I've ever been involved in. And Marcus said this, he said, I wish there was a God I wish for that God to exist now and for all time. I wish to be fully conscious of God, and more importantly, for Him to be fully conscious of me. I wish for God to be powerful, intimately wise, infinitely wise, kind, loving, fair, and when necessary, willing to carry out humiliating and painful corrections on my fellow human beings. I just thought that was great. I thought that was absolutely fantastic. And we had such a… Marcos, you know, yesterday we were talking about the kind of more militant atheists who are driving um, the elites in our culture. But the vast majority of people are not like that. Many people are like Marcos. And there is a sense in which they are looking for God. So, we are going to look at that answer. But when you go into most bookshops, secular bookshops, you will find that there are numerous books on spiritual things, but there are usually more books on angels than there are on Jesus. Now, we're going to look at Hebrews uh, 1, verses 2 to 14, and we'll read it as we go along, but it is comparing Christ and the angels. Now, I don't wish to tread on anyone's toes and fools rush in where angels fear to tread, But I have heard a lot of really loopy teaching about angels in the Christian church. 
Let me give you just a couple of examples from even the past couple of weeks. I heard someone stand up and speak about how angel feathers fell on him. Now, I'm sorry, when feathers fall on me and they're white ones, I think seagull. You know, I don't immediately think angel. Maybe I'm not spiritual enough. But this gentleman then went on to talk about blue feathers. So I think Scottish seagull uh, (laughs) shouting, freedom, you know. uh, Honestly, angel feathers, forgive me. But probably even worse than that, I heard a Catholic mystic lady who was number one in the New York Times bestsellers list, number one on the Sunday Times bestsellers list, giving a talk in a church in which she said that the, the angels were there. Everyone had their own angel, and the angels were there. In fact, there were so many angels that she could see that there were angels at the back who were unemployed, and they had their arms folded. And I thought, this is the intelligentsia in New York, and they're buying into this stuff. Now, maybe in this shed here, there are angels at the back who are unemployed and folding their arms. Maybe there are angels who are employed. But the, that, that kind of teaching, it, it, it is bizarre, and it's got nothing to do with the Bible. The Hebrews to whom Paul or whoever the writer was, because we don't know really who wrote Hebrews, but the Hebrews had a misunderstanding. How could the Son, Jesus Christ, be a little lower than the angels? And their temptation was to return to the law and also, but to return to this kind of religious superstition. And I want to suggest to you that the obsession with angels in some quarters of the Christian church is nothing to do with a return to the gospel. It's a return to a kind of pagan spirituality, and we need to avoid that. The Bible teaches about angels. Angels do exist. I absolutely believe angels exist. But it's a basic principle. Don't go beyond what Scripture teaches. Really don't. So, we're going to look at that. Let me just say something about the angels, then I'm going to spend the rest of my time talking about Christ, because that's who they came to serve. They're spirits. They are flames of fire. That's what our passage tells us. Verse 14, they are ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. Now, for me, this is an amazing thing. This is a great thing. Angels are greater than us as human beings, but they are sent to serve us, which is mind-blowing. I think the best book I've ever read on angels is uh, Billy Graham's. I think it's the best thing that that he wrote, but it really is wonderful. They are made higher than us. Psalm 8 says we are made a little lower than the angels. They're sent to serve us. What do angels look like? Well, again, in Hebrews, there's a fascinating verse. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Isn't that interesting? I've had a a, a lovely family provide hospitality for me uh, whilst I've been down here. And uh, I I, I left them and left a wee note uh, citing this verse. Not that I'm claiming to be an angel, but it is incredible, isn't it? Showing hospitality to people, showing hospitality to the stranger. Who knows who we may be blessing? All the images I think that we have of angels are images and are generally wrong. We're better just to stick with what Scripture says. Now, the writer to the Hebrews is writing and saying, okay, 
Here's the deal, guys. This is why Jesus is so much better. Now, uh, there won't be many traditional Presbyterians here, I don't think. be one or two. might even be some Anglicans. And you would expect a Presbyterian minister or a Baptist minister to go, I've got three points because we're very Trinitarian. But uh, please do not be too dismayed when I tell you I've got 14 points. But I'm going to try and do them as sound bites, and I hope that you will uh, benefit from them. Why is Jesus better? Number one, because as Tim was telling us earlier, he's the one through whom God speaks. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. He is God's final word. God speaks in creation. God speaks through the prophets. God has set his law in our hearts. These are all the ways that God speaks in our consciences and so on. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus, and Jesus is the final word, which is why whenever a prophet comes and says, well, I'm a prophet in addition to Jesus, they are wrong. That's why Islam is wrong, because Muhammad is not a prophet. He is not a prophet from God. And Joseph Smith and the Mormons, Joseph Smith is not a prophet from God. He is not the word from God. And any leader in your church who says to you, the Bible says this and Jesus says this, but I say to you, here's a further revelation of what that really means, and they contradict what Jesus says, they're not a prophet from God. God spoke to us by His Son. And I just want to offer a very simple, practical thing for you. Stop looking for words that don't come from Jesus. Look always to Jesus. I love the title. We're going to look at all these titles that are given, and I love this title. And forgive me for uh, citing John Calvin, but he says about these high titles that Christ, that are given to Christ, they're given for our benefit. So when you hear that the Son is the brightness of the Father's glory, then think that this is for you to understand that that you grasp that the glory of the Father is invisible until it shines forth in Christ. The glory of the Father is invisible until it shines forth in Christ. In, uh, I preach in a lot of different churches, and in my, my background, although I'm now a, a Presbyterian, and I, know, I, I don't know what I am. I'm a Presbyterian, charismatic, Anglican, whatever, um, Catholic. But um, I... I go to sometimes to these brethren churches. I was brought up brethren, and uh, I loved in the, some of the brethren churches on the pulpit. It just had a simple thing for the preacher, sir, we would see Jesus. I do a lot of evangelism and outreach in cafes and different things, and you know, I, I'll, I'll happily do that anywhere as long as at the end I can say, I've been talking to you about Jesus. Now, you see that person there, that person there, that person there, the people, the church that organized this or the churches that organized this. You go to their church on Sunday and you'll meet Jesus. Is that true? Is that true of our churches? He's the one through whom God speaks. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Jesus is the Son. The angels are not the Son. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Trinity is absolutely essential. We do not worship the same God as the Muslims or the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons. We don't, because we worship the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
and because it's not too early in the morning and because you've not had your lunch, let's try just a little bit of theology. There is one God who exists in three persons. The three persons are distinct, yet are one in essence, substance, or nature. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Spirit is God. The Father is not the Son or the Spirit. The Son is not the Father or the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father or the Son. Oh, Trinity is too heavy for me. I don't get that. Good. Good. Why should you get God? Why should you reduce God to what you can get? Why? Our God is greater and beyond our comprehension. And what should happen is we become so aware of the greatness of God that our only response can be to fall down in worship. We do not worship a God who we create in our own image. We worship the God who created us in His image. And don't you dare put God in a wee box. Sorry, that's a little box for those of you who don't speak uh, Scottish. Don't put God in a little box, in a wee box and say, well, there's a God I can understand, now I can worship Him. If you could understand Him, He's not worthy of worship. He's not. And Jesus came to reveal us to us this triune God. And by the way, when we say God is love, what does that mean? That's why the Trinity is so important. Before God created everything, if God is love and He's not Trinity, who did He love? Love would not be an essential part of His being. But because God is Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, there is love between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And when we say God is love, that's what we're saying. And when we say we experience God's love, that's what we're sharing in, which is just absolutely mind-blowing. And then Jesus says, the heir, whom He appointed heir of all things. I don't know if you know somebody who is an heir, somebody who Brian was saying yesterday about the queen uh, owning more land than, than anyone else. Well, imagine that if, uh, you know, Prince Charles or Harry or William or whatever, if, if like they were your best mate, or even if you were going to marry one of them. When, when uh, William came to study at St. Andrews, it was incredible how many young American girls decided to study art at St. Andrews. I'm going girls, get a grip. You're not going to marry him, you know. But they thought, well, why not? Let's try. I'm going to find my prince. But, uh, you know, as Christians, we don't need any of that. Why? Because when we know Jesus Christ, we are heirs together with Christ. Galatians 4, 7, you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you're His child, God has made you also an heir. Everything that Jesus is receiving from His Father is what we, as His brothers and sisters, receive. That is utterly, utterly mind-blowing. By the way, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I'm, I'm, I'm showing you why you should follow Jesus, because, and this thing alone is just, just wonderful. He's also the Creator through whom He made the universe. Colossians 1.16, for in Him all things were created, things on heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. I don't know about, you know, Christians arguing about creation all the time, but I, I know this. The creation is absolutely spectacular. It's the reason I couldn't be an atheist. I grew up in the highlands of Scotland. I used to live in a place called Neg. Uh, I lived above 200-foot high cliffs. Uh, my mother used to make me go and play on them, and I now think about it and decide she perhaps didn't love me all that much. Uh, <laughs> 
because I was playing on these 200-foot high cliffs, and it was just, it was fabulous. And I was, you know, I, I was seeing dolphins, I was seeing seals, I was everything. And I tried so hard when I was 12 or 13 to be an atheist, and you know why I couldn't do it? Because it was just so dumb. Because every time I would look out and I would see the glory of the Creator, and I'd go, okay, I don't believe in the God of the Bible, but there's no way that this was an accident. There's no way that this fabulous painting didn't have an artist. No way. That doesn't make any sense. How can anyone with any sense be an atheist? To me, it was emotionally desirable, but intellectually incomprehensible. Most atheists I argue with today think it's the other way around. No, it's not. It does not make sense not to believe in God. And when Christians go, well, you just got to have faith and never mind the intellectual arguments. No, you're throwing away one of our biggest arguments, which is it makes sense to believe in a creator. It doesn't make sense not to believe. I remember a top scientist in our city came to me, and, and he'd been at a lecture that had been given on Christianity and science. And he sat down, to, and he said, Dave, I want to talk to you. And we, we talked a couple of things. And he said, listen, here's my problem. I have no problem in believing a creator. As a scientist, that just makes sense. But tell me about Jesus. Well, that was a long conversation. It's great. He's now a member in the church and married one of our girls as well. So it's just, it's just fabulous. Here, I love what Gregory of Nyssa says about, and uh, this is from the, the fourth century, about creation. We certainly believe that all creation, including its physical and spiritual aspects, including the angels, in other words, is made by God who is non-physical and uncreated. However, although we believe this by faith, we don't set alongside it an investigation into how the universe was made or what it was made from. We accept the fact of creation, but we pass over the way it was created. This needs to be handled reverently, for it is utterly profound and mysterious. Please remember that. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. The sun is the radiance of God's glory in the exact representation of his being. The Bible's full of the glory of God, and we use those words, and what do they mean? There's this idea of weightiness and of heaviness. Um, Isaiah 60, for example, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. I don't know if you've ever had an experience where you sense the glory of God. You know, people sometimes say to me, David, you're very intellectual and you do all this reasoning and stuff. No, no. Can I teach you a wee bit of Scottish? It's better felt than tilt. When you know, when you have been in a place where it's not the music, it's not the emotion of the speaker, it, it, it's, it's not the bad cheese on toast you had the previous night, but you are deeply conscious of the presence of God and the glory of God, there is a stillness, there is a silence. I, I mentioned yesterday that last Sunday in the, in the morning service in our church, there was an absolute silence, and you could feel, you could feel it. And I was saying, oh, Lord, again, please, again. And then my wife phoned me last night and said, it happened again. People were in tears, just this presence of God. And I kind of went, oh, that's a shame. Why couldn't I have been there? But <laughs> you have to rejoice with those who rejoice. And I pray again, it happens next. But this idea of the glory of God, it's why we teach about God. It's why we preach about God. It's why I run a million miles from a preacher who talks about himself all the time. Yeah, we use ourselves as illustrations at times. But John the Baptist says, 
He must increase, I must decrease. By the way, please use Scripture properly. This is the worst use of Scripture I've ever seen, an advert for a Christian slimming club with the text, he must increase, I must decrease. (laughs) I'm sorry, if you're not a Christian, please excuse us our nuttiness at times. Uh, We disavow that. We see the radiance of God's glory, and this is how we see God's glory. We see it in the face of Christ. You get to know Jesus, you get to know God. Let's move on. He's the one who sustains all things. Sometimes it feels like the world's falling apart, doesn't it? Sometimes it feels like the country's falling apart. I get really depressed reading the newspapers. I've got people doing project fear on both sides as regards Brexit. You know, I thought I'd need a passport to get to England. And, uh, you know, you weren't going to have any food. You're all going to be dying in the streets. And according to uh, the latest reports, there are going to be loads and loads of sexual diseases because of, you know, I'm thinking, guys, what are you on about? And then there's a whole bunch of other stuff. And sometimes, on a, I think at a more serious level, in our own personal lives, it can feel like everything's falling apart. And we're saying, what is going on? And then you remember this. He's got the whole world in his hands, and the he is Jesus. He sustains all things by his powerful word. Do you know this? If you're an atheist and you got your wish in the world there was no God, it would implode. Jesus is the one who holds everything together. He sustains. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He's the purifier from all sins. After Jesus had provided purification for sins, Hebrews 2.9 says, "We, we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because He suffered death, so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. Jesus is glorious. Jesus is beautiful. Jesus is the Son of God, and Jesus came a baby, a child, a teenager who lost his dad, a carpenter, a teacher, a healer, a miracle worker who was spat on and abused and flogged and killed in the most horrific way on the cross, most horrific way. I couldn't, when I watched Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ, I left with an, uh, with an almighty migraine. I, I couldn't bear it. Couldn't bear it. Because they did that to Jesus. And here's why they did that to Jesus. He could have got 10,000 angels and gone. He didn't have to do it. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he sweated, as it were, great drops of blood, saying, Father, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. And Jesus died on the cross. Not so he could show us, hey, here's a good way to die. He died to pay for our sins, to purify us from all sins. And that's why, supposing you're here and you're not a Christian, and you've experienced, you know that you've done some really horrendous stuff, and you think, there's no way I could ever, ever be forgiven. I'm telling you this, there's nothing that you have done that is greater than the death of Jesus. And let me say this to those of you who are Christians, because the devil is the accuser, and he always comes. And there are far too many Christians who are defeated, not because you don't have miraculous powers, but because you don't perceive and understand what Jesus has done on the cross. He has paid for all your sin, past, present, and future. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. 
every time you remember that, you should shout hallelujah. It should bring a smile to your face. It's like when I walk down the road or cycle and I'm listening to, you know, Led Zepp comes on my phone. I, I just start dancing. Sorry, I'm, that's my, I, I just enjoy it. Uh, it's so much. But I'll tell you this, there's nothing brings a smile to my face and joy to my heart more than remembering there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's because of this, because he's the purifier from all sins. So you as a Christian who's sitting there being utterly miserable and you think that somehow you're God glorifying because you're saying, oh, I'm a miserable sinner, you're not God glorifying if you think that your sin is greater than the death of Jesus on the cross. In fact, what you're doing is you're exalting yourself above Christ. Don't do that. Don't do that. There's nothing that you have done that Christ has not paid for, and that's where your freedom lies. That's why he's greater than the angels. The angels can't forgive you, but Jesus does. He's the one on the throne. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. About the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. Hebrews 8.1. Now, the main point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Do you know what's amazing about this? The writer talks about Jesus being on the throne. He doesn't even mention the resurrection and ascension. No, they're essential. They're absolutely important. But this, you forget, where is Jesus now? He's on the throne. He's not going to be on the throne He's on the throne. And the rulers of this world and my own Scottish government can say, we're going to decide what a human being is. We rule and we will tolerate religion. And they mock God and they mock Jesus. And Jesus is on the throne and Psalm 2 says he laughs at them. He laughs at them. Jesus is on the throne. It may appear absolute chaos, but Jesus is on the throne. Let me just give you one example of that. I know a a farmer and his wife, who their two children were killed in a barn fire. And they were lovely Christians, and somebody very cruelly said to them, where's your God now? Huh? Where's your God now? Do you know what the woman said? She turned around and she said, he's on the throne. He's on the throne. And if I did not believe that God was good and God was on the throne, then this would be hell. But because I trust absolutely in Jesus, even this gut-wrenching pain and heartache, the Lord will restore. The Lord is on the throne. Jesus is on the throne. The angels are not on the throne. He's the inheritor of the name. Now, we, we don't have so much of that in, in our culture, but, you know, the name is very important. You're, the name in the Bible is hugely important. He became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior. And this is why the name of Jesus is so important. And this is why you need to challenge when people use Jesus as a swear word. And you need to challenge Christians who use the name of Jesus as spiritual punctuation. You know what I mean? Well, Lord, we just want to bless you, Lord. We know, Lord, that you want to do this, Lord, 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 Lord. And you're not thinking. You're talking to Jesus. Don't use his name as a swear word and don't use his name as just casually. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Do you know the Jews still don't say the name Yahweh or Jehovah or whatever? We don't know how it's pronounced because they didn't say it because it was too sacred. But this is the name that is above every name. 
Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you know this? If you are not a Christian, one day you are going to acknowledge Jesus as Lord, and one day you are going to bow before Him. It's better to do it now than on the day of judgment. It's better to do it now in, in worship and in submission than on the day of judgment crying for the rocks to fall upon you. You hear what's being said. He is the name. He's the one of whom the Scripture speaks. The, all the verses in this passage are, are from the Bible. Are you one of these people who goes, uh, I, I'm, I'm not an Old Testament Christian. I'm a New Testament Christian. Well, if you miss out the Old Testament, you're not a New Testament Christian because you're doing more than Jesus did and you're doing more than the apostles did. And here in Hebrews, you're finding that it's the Old Testament that's being quoted. Jesus on the road to Emmaus said to the two disciples, how foolish you are, how stupid you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Do you read the Bible? I hope so. It's not a law book. It's not a moral code. It's not a story book. It's not a history book, though it will contain all of those things. It is a book about Jesus. And I can't find anywhere in the scriptures that doesn't speak about Jesus. And you don't need to do the stupid stuff, you know, like a sermon someone was once preaching on Balaam's ass or Balaam's donkey. Point one was about Balaam, point two was about his ass, and point three, a wee word about Jesus. Uh, No, but the whole story of Scripture, and that's how you understand the difficult passages as well, is set in the context of this glorious Jesus. And by the way, let me warn you about this. When teachers like Steve Chalk take away from the Jesus of the Bible by saying, well, Jesus, that part of the Bible doesn't matter, and that part doesn't count, and Jesus didn't say this, or Jesus didn't mean that, what they're doing is they're creating a Jesus in the image of our own culture, and they're doing it to try and reach people, but they're reaching people with a Jesus who doesn't exist. Just tell people about the Jesus of Scripture. That's it. He is more… We cannot make him up. He's the one of whom Scripture speaks. He's the one who the angels worship. When God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. They were created. That's citing, by the way, Deuteronomy 32, 23. We don't worship angels. Never, ever. We'd be tempted to. I tell you, if an angel appeared in all his glory in this building, we would fall down on our knees, and the angel would say, get up. Do not worship me. You worship Jesus. He is also the anointed one. You've loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Um, The anointed one, the Christos, the Christ. Jesus is anointed, anointed with the Spirit. Jesus is anointed. But look at this. He's anointed with joy. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. I love Psalm 22. You want to know what Jesus felt on the cross? Read Psalm 22. It's his song on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet, and yet, at the end of the psalm, it talks about all the seed being gathered because of what he has done, meaning believers throughout the world in all ages. 
You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Jesus is the one who brings us joy, real joy. Do you know this? If you become a Christian today, now, here in this place, angels rejoice. These mighty beings rejoice. Why? Because they are seeing the work of the one they were created to serve being fulfilled. They are seeing human beings being exalted and raised to be heirs and co-heirs with their master. He's the eternal one. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment they will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. An old song says this, solid joys and lasting treasures, none but Zion's children know. Uh, About what, 12 months ago, I bought the latest iPhone, and within one month, it was out of date. You know what it's like. The minute you drive a car out of the showroom, it drops a third in value. Listen, guys, you may have the most wonderful body. You may go to the gym every single day. You may even have got to the stage where you Botox yourself. It's still, that body that you have is still like that car. It is going to rot. Everything is going to change. Even the rocks are going, but, but Jesus remains the same. He is eternal. Keith Ward says this, once you see that God is eternal, you will never again ask the question, who or what made God? You will see that the question does not make sense. Christians, we need to grasp this. The reason we learn theology is because we learn about God, and when we are told that God is eternal, when someone says, well, who made God? That's like saying, who made that square circle? It doesn't make any sense. The question doesn't make sense. God is eternal. He is without beginning. He is without end. And it's the eternal one that we worship. Do you know the songs that we sing will go back and forth? Um, We sing a lot of psalms in my church, and, you know, they're quite old. Um, There are churches, you know, I, I asked about a song, and somebody looked at me and was kind of, oh, that's quite old. Well, it's like 15 years ago. Well, our songs will change, but the one of whom we sing never changes. He is the everlasting God. He is the eternal one, and He's the conqueror. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Where's my safe space? I'll tell you where my safe space is. It's on the rock. It's on Jesus Christ. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. If you're, even as a Christian, if you're trusting yourself, trusting your wealth, trusting your your circumstances, trusting your gifts, trusting your abilities, please don't. Do you know, for me, standing up here is actually quite difficult. And I, you know, I wasn't very sure about doing it until Brian said, can you speak about why Jesus is greater than the angels? And then that's for me, that's it. That's just, that's just wonderful, because I've got nothing. I've got nothing to give anyone except Christ, and then suddenly I've got everything. He is the conqueror. I think that is just incredible. I'm going to finish with uh, some verses from further on in Hebrews, because I think it unpacks. Hebrews is a wonderful book, and it just unpacks as it goes along, but This is a a great thing. We are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Do you know, we have a great cloud of witnesses. 
We have the witnesses in the Old Testament, the witnesses in the New. We have the witnesses uh, today and throughout history. We have the witness of God. And so we run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See how all these things are being repeated? Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Can I be honest? Saturday here for me, coming down here, was a hard day. And can I tell you why? It wasn't because I was coming down to England and I was terrified. No, no, no. I love coming down to England. I was born in England, but please don't tell anyone (laughs) back up in Scotland. I love, you know, I just, I love coming down here and it was just wonderful coming here. But just before speaking, just sitting there, there's just so much heaviness about different things, some personal things, some things within the culture. I see things in the culture that if I had any hair left, I would pull it out. Uh, You know, and I'm I'm just, my heart is broken when I you know, I heard of a friend who's left his wife. I heard of someone else. I've had two friends recently got cancer and just so much stuff and so much stuff. And then I thought, I, I walked on the site here and I walked away from the site here and uh, I, I won't tell the staff here, but I felt quite depressed because I just thought, I can't do this. And Lord, how do we reach? Uh, how? What, what can we say? And sometimes it's good to get like that because I just realized, do you know this? Don't give up ever. Consider him. Consider Jesus. Look at the opposition he got, and so you won't grow weary and lose heart, because he's the conqueror. He's gone before. There's an old Scottish theologian called Rabbi Duncan, and he said this, there is no pit so deep that Christ has not gone deeper still. When you've been in blackness, when you're in the pit, it's really wonderful to know that and to accept that. So I want us to follow, um, to think about all of this and to follow up. What I've done is I've, I've, I've basically gone bang, 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 bang to, to do those things. We could do a sermon on each one of those points. In fact, that may be my next series at home. It's just because it's just so wonderful looking at who Jesus is. But can I, can I suggest this to you? I think too many of you as Christians have said, I've accepted Christ. Now, let me get on and see how to live life or do whatever. Do you know this? Your greatest need is to know Christ better. Do you know what the Apostle Paul said at the end of his life? He said, I want to know Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings and so on. And I'm thinking, Paul, you planted half the churches in the world. You've written a third of the New Testament, and you're saying you want to know Christ. And we're hardly just converted, and we're bouncing around going, I know Jesus, I know Jesus, I know Jesus. And many of us are living on past memories. Let me tell you, your greatest need is to know Jesus, even as a Christian, to know Him better. That is, that is my absolute need. So, what we're going to do just now is this, because I, I do want you to follow this up. I don't want this to be just a talk. You go away and think, oh, that was nice, and then go and get your hot dog or whatever it is. I do want you to think about this and just to focus on Christ and you know, and to give Him your life. If you're not a Christian, I want you to do that. And what we're going to do is, I'm going to pray, we're going to um, sing, and the, the, the guys in the green will come down at the front. I'll come at the front as well. And if you've got any questions, or you just want to pray about that, then do. And if you are a Christian already, but you know that you've kind of drifted away from Jesus, then just come and pray with us. Just recommit yourself to Him. Uh, 
Also, if you are not a Christian, and I'm only saying this to people who are not Christians, I wrote a book about Jesus called Magnificent Obsession, because that's what he is to me. And uh, I'm willing to give you a free copy. Now, this is from a Scotsman. I don't have it on me, so you'll have to email me and write me. And I'm only doing it for, for um, uh, non-Christians, because those of you who are Christians, sorry guys, you know, prove your generosity and just buy one yourself uh, to give it away. But I, I do want you to, you can look at, um, I've got a blog called the We Flee blog where I try and look at some of these things, not just, you know, in, in the culture, and uh, we do a podcast and stuff as well. You can look at any of those, but mo- just most, forget all of that, except seek Christ. He is the treasure. Let's pray. And I, can we do a favor? Can we stand to pray, please? Let's stand, because we stand before a holy God, and then we'll just sing. Our God.